Hey, everybody. Welcome to Political Playlist Happy Hour podcast, where we drink cocktails and sometimes coffee, and we talk politics, left, right, and everything in between. The news you'll never hear about, the young politicians who rarely get much coverage, if any, and who, by the way, only make up 14% of Congress, which is crazy. So that's where what we're here for. Uh, I'm founding partner Michael Kristoff, and as always, I'm joined by my two co-founders, Anna Muskie-Goldwyn and Anthony Barquette. Guys, welcome to the Morning Happy Hour pod. What are we drinking? I am drinking alcohol. What? Wow. Wow. It's it's too early for me right now on the West Coast, so I'm just drinking a What does Michael have? I have a mini ginger ale can. I wouldn't admit that, Michael. Stunning. Yeah. (laughs) Ginger ale. (laughs) Quick editorial note, the birds that you're hearing on this are likely from, they are real, they're not piped in, and they're coming from the location where I am recording. The birds are doing their own podcast today as well. Yes. Yes. We'll we'll try to keep it down for them. (laughs) Well, uh, we unfortunately want to begin uh, on a more serious note, regrettably, because uh, we we feel strongly that we have to address just the growing conversation around vaccines. You know, it was just released, I read this morning by the CDC, that this new Delta variant is now just as contagious as the chickenpox, which anybody who has ever had wow. the chickenpox or knows about the chickenpox knows that that shit is fucking contagious. So uh, I, I am all vaxxed uh, and I feel great. What do you guys think? I mean, I think it's unfortunate that this has become a political issue. I understand that there are people who have legitimate health issues that might prevent them from feeling like they can be safely vaccinated. But I think the majority of the people who are still reluctant for whatever reason um, are healthy and would benefit from the vaccine. And even beyond them benefiting from the vaccine, um, it does help those people who do have health issues. And you know, they're saying that 99% of people hospitalized right now are unvaccinated. And they wow. say that they wish they had been vaccinated once they're about to be intubated or whatever, um, you know, go on a respiratory machine. So I think it's unfortunate and we are a nonpartisan platform, but uh, I think that all three of us strongly believe that this is is not a partisan issue and it's unfortunate that it's fallen into that. Well, what, what I'm kind of curious about is I don't think the U.S. government ever expected that people would not want this yeah. vaccine, you know, where they were just rushing to get it out and they never, they, I, I wonder who is in the deciding room and they go, well, what about if people don't take this, what are we going to do? Yeah. And, you know, now we're sort of at that at that stage, and you're seeing a lot of companies actually requiring all of their employees, you know, travel, et cetera, can't go into certain restaurants without showing a vaccine card. And I was I was having a conversation with someone yesterday where I was like, maybe this would have been better if the US government paired up with larger companies like a Walmart or, mm. or whatnot mm. and said, hey, everyone's getting the vaccine, you know, our company is doing it, and that would have shown some more legitimacy. But I don't think they ever expected that this would happen. Yeah. Well, and like, you know, just to sort of add one uh, thought to leave everybody with is I wonder, you know, had the Trump administration, had Trump won a second term, right? right? Would we be having this conversation in a different way? Would Democrats have been more resistant 
based on distrust that they overwhelmingly felt. And now I wonder, you know, how much of the anti-vax is being fueled by that perhaps skepticism or distrust of the current administration. Again, the unfortunate polarization and politicalization of this is, uh, it's really sad and scary. Yeah, I agree. I the, think it would be in a different guys, situation. One yeah. of the guys on our platform, Byron Donalds, uh, Republican from Florida, who just came out, I think he was on Chris Cuomo talking no, about- No, it was, uh, it was or, Jake Tapper, I think. Uh, yeah, talking about how his whole family is not vaccinated, but they all have already had COVID and they just don't see wow. a reason to get it. And, you know, it, uh, once again, these are our leaders. And if that's what they're saying, you know, a lot of you trust in your leader. So right. we hope for the best and we hope everyone will go get vaccinated. It's easy. Right. right. I want my third shot. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it takes. Third, Whatever fourth, it takes. fifth. Yeah. Anywhere. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's get on to the meat of the podcast here. Uh, our first section is the big question. And today's big question centers around psychedelic medicine and mental health. Anna, you spoke with John Lubecki, which is up on our uh, podcast uh, page, and you can check it out. Tell us about this, because this, I think, is one of the more fascinating uh, interviews that we have done. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I, I, I even went on Instagram right after I did the interview and just recorded a video of myself because I was so like, you know, when you have that adrenaline after like a sporting event or something, and you just feel like you yeah. have to put out, put that emotion out there. I was so moved by our conversation and just so impressed with what he does that I felt compelled to do so. So John Lebecki is a military veteran. He served in the Marines and then he served in the National Guard and was in combat in Iraq. And he came back from active duty in 2005 or 2006 and very quickly became aware that he suffered from PTSD. He was suicidal. In total, he had five suicide attempts. And these suicide wow. attempts for the most part were all um, done and attempted while he was in therapy and while he was on, I think he said he was taking 42 different pills every day for a variety 42 of pills. Yeah. Oh and he was, he was, God. you know, he was a quick, day. he was quick to clarify that a lot of those pills were for pain, physical pain. And I guess what they do at the VA is that instead of prescribing you an opioid, they provide, they prescribe an array of other pills so that you don't become addicted to opioids. So I think a hmm. big chunk of the pills were sort of to combat opioid addiction, which is good. So I wanted to clarify yeah. that as he did for me when I had the same reaction. Um, wow. But that's all to be said that Basically, after his fifth suicide attempt, it was very clear that this combination of prescription medicine and talk therapy was not working. And the story, I mean, please go listen to the last episode of the podcast because he describes it much better than I will. But essentially, through a very interesting series of events with his therapist and his therapist's intern, who he had to see one day when his therapist was out, he discovered a clinical trial that was being done for MDMA-assisted therapy. And he literally just got in under the wire because someone had dropped out and he was able to to be in the trial, which was run by an organization called MAPS. And MAPS is a nonprofit that is dedicated to studying psychedelic medicine and especially advocating for legislation that both decriminalizes and hopefully eventually legalizes it. And mm -hmm. 
after doing a clinical trial, he was in there for four or five months. He would go and it was a very controlled setting where he had MDMA supplied by the DEA that was taken at a very specific time. And while he was under the influence, he would do his therapy sessions. And after- With two therapists, with two therapists, I think. Right. right? Yeah. And after the trial was completed, his PTSD was cured and he- had, you know, he describes in our conversation a series of traumatic events that he went through after the therapy that in any other situation would have triggered his PTSD and they didn't. And, you know, he says he always gets the question of like, oh, do you want to keep doing Molly? And he's like, no, it's like a really painful experience to go through. People think of it as a party drug, but it is, you know, he would have to take it and go talk about the most harrowing moments of his life. And he had this really funny bit that, again, I encourage you to go listen to where he, when he talks to politicians who, especially those who are older, he compares it to a colonoscopy and how, when you're get a colonoscopy, they give you some really good drugs so that you don't feel it, but it doesn't make you want to go get another colonoscopy. So I thought that was a pretty funny (laughs) comparison. (laughs) Glad, glad, glad I'm not at that age yet, but you uh, will be, I mean, I, the, that interview was, it gave me the chills. Uh, listening to it. And I mean, just in terms of mental health, what was so sad was I think his first attempt at suicide, he was talking about it was Christmas Eve and he needed help. And he went to a church and the church told him they were, they were too full. So then he went to the VA and the VA gave him five Xanaxes. It's like Prozac or something. Yeah. Or Prozac and said, don't take them all at once. Yeah. But here you go. And he goes, I went home, drank a fifth of vodka and mm. tried to kill myself, you know, and holidays are usually the saddest time, right? When you don't have someone to be with. Yeah. But, you know, back to the politicians, he was saying on Capitol Hill, where he gets the most support is from the younger and the older politicians. And I, yeah, I loved his reasoning, Did, his yeah. reasoning. So not the, not the middle but he said, because okay. the, the older ones, he said, went through the 60s. So they probably tried drugs and realized that it's not going to kill them. Right. And then the younger, he goes, with the younger people, most of them are uh, young college I, students are working for them. And he's like, all of them have tried mushrooms I love in he said, I love he said, even the Republican staffers did mushrooms in college. <laughs> that was yeah. his quote, I think. <laughs> That's great. What what is the the big takeaway from this? Is is the conversation about destigmatizing mental health? Is it about destigmatizing psychedelic treatment for mental health or all of the above? I think it goes hand in hand, right? I think mm-hmm. that, you know, the question that we pose in the newsletter and that I'll pose now is does having this younger generation of politicians open up the doors for discussion of mental health in a different way? especially around issues that might seem previously controversial like psychedelics. So there's obviously a lot of different ways to talk about mental health. There's a lot of different possible treatments. And John is very clear that this is not a treatment that would work for everybody, but it is 67 in clinical trials. It's 67% effective. So 67% of the people who go through the four month treatment, they come out healed. So I think that the, what I feel is that we are in a, a world right now in a society where mental health 
is becoming more of the conversation and he said it mm-hmm. the best. And I, it's almost, I mean, I'm sure he has this quote prepared for every podcast he goes on, but he said that veterans mm-hmm. are not a red or blue issue. They're a red, white, and blue issue, which, I mean, you can't get a better quote than that. Right. That's and, right. um, yeah. and, and I think that we're starting to see that also with mental health. And I think that so, a group of Americans like veterans is really a wonderful um, group to focus on because no politician or no no person is going to deny a veteran the treatment right. that they might need. And so if we can start with veterans and then kind of open it up to everyone who's experienced trauma, which, spoiler alert, is all of us, <laughs> then, um, then we can start to have more conversations about the different ways that we can address this. And I was surprised the timeline that he gave for psychedelic medicine is um, probably decriminalization federally by 2023 with the track that they're on. And I should say that he is now working with that organization MAPS to advocate to politicians and other groups to help advanced legislation in the states and then hopefully on the federal level that will not only increase research but eventually create sort of clinics as which is what their goal is that you can walk in and undergo this treatment so so you know i think that the discussion of mental health is something that we're advancing on and it's very heartening to have a conversation like this with john about a specific area in it he described mental health the best way i've heard before which Mm. You know, well, one, he said a lot of people think PTSD is a death sentence. That's like historically how it's been viewed as. But he's Mm -hmm. like, it's like breaking your leg. Like you, you need to work on, you know, work on it and heal it and get it back to where it was, you know, before. And, um, you know, I, it's, he said, it's a mental injury that can be healed. And, you know, we all know someone who has had, you know, mental health issues. And I truly believe that it's something you need to work on to bring it back and heal it. I think for a lot of people who have gone through a PTSD situation, they do look at that as a death sentence that they can't get rid of. And John is someone who has, you know, gone through, gone through the opposite, you know, Mm -hmm. gone through it and shown that there's another way. And with the politicians, how can you not support something that just is, if there's no other options, why wouldn't this be available? Yeah. To right. And I think that's right. the right. point. Yeah. Some action is better than inaction. Yeah. And veteran suicide, yeah. I forget the numbers, but it's, it's, it's massive. Huge, I mean, on a per, yeah. per, per day basis. Yeah. So I also well, wanted to just bring up really quickly before we move on one piece of legislation that I think is really interesting and relevant to this, which is um, Colin Allred, who is a Democrat from Texas and Tracy Mann, who is a Republican from Kansas. They are um, helping to introduce a bill that would expand this program that is peer-to-peer veteran counseling. So basically, if you're a veteran, you would get certified to become a peer counselor, and they would match you with somebody in need. And this is something that John also talked about a lot in the interview, just that he does now in terms of counseling other veterans and understanding that we as average citizens will never understand what they went through. And I asked him really frankly at the end, you know, how we can be more cognizant. And he basically said, 
just don't talk about it. Don't ask veterans about their experience unless they bring it up. Don't try to be supportive unless they ask for the support because it's something that we just can't understand. So I think that this bipartisan legislation is really interesting and could open a lot of doors to bring attention to veterans' mental health, which I really do think will then evolve into the general population's mental health. Well, uh, that um, that's great. And um, I think what seems to be the case is another major important issue that the young Congress, both Democrats and Republicans, seem to be jointly rallying around. And I think that takes us to our next sec- section, what's the score, where we score up how the Democrats are doing, how the Republicans are doing, and what they're working on or disagreeing on. Uh, so what's the score here, guys, this week? Well, this is uh, not to frighten everyone on the podcast, but we're going to talk about forever chemicals. And it's a horrible name. It's a horrible name. Let me name. get a white claw real quick. <laughs> yeah, honestly, ta- you better be taking a sip right now. So there was a report that came out that 200 million Americans are drinking contaminated water. So there wow. was a bill um, out that uh, passed t- 241 to 183. So 23 Republicans uh, joined the Democrats in, in voting for this bill. And basically, it allocates a substantial amount of money to look into water contamination and allow cities and counties to be able to deal with water contamination. Um, Honestly, though, pretty frightening reading this article. It also mentioned that 30,000 industrial sites are known or suspected of using toxins, and more than 400 military sites are known to have this contamination as well. Um, All right, I'm done. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so, Anna, so, you were so, talking about, you You give a shit for having bottled water, but I feel like maybe this is a good case for it. No, this is a case for a water filter. Okay. That you put the water in and it filters mm-hmm. out the chemicals and that you drink. Got it. Okay. 200 million Americans. The population of the U.S. is like 330. <laughs> So, I mean, effectively, one in three of us has consumed yeah. some form of this. So I'm going to go with Anna. Honestly. I'm going to go with Anna, too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the uh, healthiest of all of us. I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> You're currently in Florida right now, and I feel like water issues are a big uh, thing that unifies a lot of Florida politicians. Oh, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So, well, just, just to that point, Michael, on the Republican side, Brian Mast and Matt yep. Gates from Florida were uh, two of those 23 Republicans who voted mm. uh, in favor of that. Um, as well, the other people who really were speaking about this um, to their constituents were Cory Bush and Elise Slocken. So before we move on, I also just wanted to, to, to give a little update on what's the score because we spoke about this issue of the Afghan interpreters um, getting special visas in the United States. We talked about that a few times and Peter Meyer, a Republican from Michigan was one of the, the, and Jason Crow were two of the the veterans who were spearheading this. And the Allies Act, which is the act that addresses this issue and created 8,000 new visas for Afghan interpreters to come legally into the US with their families has passed the house um, and it moves on to the Senate. 
And, you know, we did a little poll on our Instagram um, that we asked people about the withdrawal of troops from Afghanistan. And actually the majority, a slim majority, but the majority, 54% of people who answered our poll said that they thought it was the wrong decision. So I think that this is just an interesting thing that we should all be keeping tabs on, but I wanted to bring up since we had spoken about it. So there's your, there's your, what's the score update. Yeah. But most interesting from that, what's the score was it passed the house by 407 to 16 votes. And the one person on our platform who did not vote in favor of it was Loan Boebert. Yeah, did you want to drum roll? I already did. You spoiled it. Lauren Lauren Boebert from Colorado, and she hasn't come out with a statement as to why. And I really think she should. It's a little disappointing, but my personal opinion is I think – Uh, Hey, Lauren's not shy to talk about some conspiracy theories and the U.S. is going to be letting in, uh, I think it's up to 18,000 Afghan interpreters and their family members. And I could see her saying, you know, all of these people might have relationships with uh, Hezbollah or other terrorist organizations and why are we letting them into our country? The birds agree. Well, that seems that they they sure do. And this seems like a great transition to the fuck you of the week. Uh, Who wants to take this one? A lot of people seem to be a lot of people seem to be uh, giving some good fuck yous this week. Yeah, well, it's really it's really just at each other, you know. Um, I mean, yeah. I'll take it. It's my favorite section. Although I don't feel very angry today. So <laughs> yeah. maybe I'll be a little more calm talking about it. Fuck you of the week this week comes from two of our Democrats, namely Mondaire Jones, a freshman Democrat from New York, but also also Kirsten Sinema, um, the senator from Democratic senator from Arizona, who is just drumming up controversy left and right or I should say mostly left within her own party. And so what basically what happened is Kirsten Cinema came out saying that she is not going to support a 3.5 trillion spending package that Biden and essentially all other Democrats are trying to pass through the Senate um, in that budget resolution. So the the aftermath of that is that Mondaire Jones, a progressive in the House, has said that if the Senate does not pass this spending package, then he, along with AOC and some other progressives, has said that they will not vote for the bipartisan infrastructure package that is seems to be slowly gaining more and more support and could be Biden's biggest ticket to actually passing major a major infrastructure bill. So Kirsten is throwing the fuck you to the rest of her party. Mondaire, AOC, and others are throwing the fuck you to Kirsten and Senate Democrats for not being able to get this done. So, you know, the donkeys are fighting. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I think, honestly, well, there's such a slim majority in the House, right? And the fact that the Senate might be able to vote in favor of something is honestly mind blowing to me right now. <laughs> yeah. And if they can get it done, I think it's a, a big lose for the Democrats to not vote in favor of this. Yes, I know they want the progressive want substantial other things in this package, but right. if if they want any sort of win in the 2022 midterms, you better show that you're getting something done. And this will be something that they could talk, they can talk about on the campaign trail instead of saying, 
we didn't come to an agreement. Good right. luck. Right. And I think, you know, all, all of this, if we go back to the 2020 presidential election, one of the things that Biden got a lot of criticism for, and rightly so, you know, he was out there really trumpeting his ability to bring bipartisanship uh, to, to the legislative process. And a lot of people said, no, you, you know, that's broken. It's never going to happen. And Honestly, you know, this is vindication for, for his message and for his administration um, in many respects. And it really, I think, is an extension of his centrism uh, as, a, as a political leader. And I think what we're seeing Republicans and Democrats from the sort of closer to the center uh, places in, in the respective parties are the ones who are getting compromise done. And I feel like, you know, the farther out you go, the less likely you're gonna find compromise. And I, I guess the the takeaway for me is, you know, not not to sort of say how some someone should should be politically in their ideology, but it it seems like if compromise is something you want, you're going to find it closer to the center. And when people sort of say, oh, I want compromise, but then don't actually ever want to compromise their far views on, on a spectrum, you know, I, I think that that's, you know, fairly hypocritical. <laughs> um, for, for sure. I, and, you know, one of the progressives major issues was out of this bipartisan Senate group, there was not one minority yeah. senator involved in the discussions. You know, I, I think that was a dumb mistake on this bipartisan group totally. mm -hmm. when we're in such a like a racial uh, time within our country. But also newsflash, there's like three or four under five people of color in our Senate of 100. Yeah, right? but also you know, a lot of those are prominent Democrats. So the fact that they wouldn't put, they wouldn't bring, one of them is a I'd, prominent Republican, put Tim Scott I'd, on it, you know, like, to, I think it's totally just idiotic. Agree. Totally agree. Also, yeah. because it's not just, I think that that's not just playing into the, the sort of culture mm -hmm. we're living in. It's also understanding that infrastructure is something that affects people very differently based on class and race. To be talking about infrastructure and not be including people of from different backgrounds, um, I think, is to, to your point quite stupid so yeah uh well uh moving on uh to uh any good wrecks what have you guys been listening to watching reading uh, mine is you just need to listen to the last podcast with john lebecky <laughs> even if you give it 30 minutes it's yeah no uh, give it the it, whole hour i mean give it the whole hour but it, it <laughs> gave it honestly gave me the chills and it's a fantastic interview um, okay. And mine is, I, I watched a couple weeks ago, and I keep thinking about it, this documentary on Hulu, Summer of Soul, that was directed okay. by Questlove from The Roots. And yeah. this is, I mean, it's it does relate politically, because I think it's basically, without getting too deep into it, it's about this music festival that happened in the summer of 1969, the same summer as Woodstock. And it happened in Harlem over a series of weekends in this park in New York City. And it was like, all of the, I mean, it was Nina Simone. It was, um, wow. who else was there? It was like all of, of CD Wonder. It was all of these black musicians that ended up becoming the seminal black musicians of that generation. And they played in front of this audience and it was this festival and there was footage that 
up until this movie it was unreleased. Um, yeah. And I thought one of the most interesting parts uh, cool. of it was that at the time there was a, a white Republican governor of New York, and I forget his name, I apologize, but but that there was this whole section on him supporting this festival and how and it was just mm. so interesting to think about a time when there could be a white a when there could be a white republican governor of new york which hasn't happened <laughs> for you know over a decade now and yeah. then b to have this like symbiosis of you know this and he was this like goofy white guy like total sort of yeah. like waspy looking guy and he's like standing on stage you know in front of this big black audience and and you know it 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 highlighted a lot of the the troubles that were happening, but also I think yeah. just to hear the music, it was- That's what we need from yeah. leadership right now. And when you hear those stories of people back then doing that, like my- Back then when it, by the way, like, I mean, we did weren't alive, so we can't totally speak to it, but the world was certainly a different place back yeah. then and they were able to break through. So hopefully we can, you know, get to that place again. Love that. Well, my uh, three wrecks, I have three wrecks. I'm, I'm in like half vacation mode, half work mode and trying to like crunch through all these things I didn't get to. One of my uh, producing partners, who's a very talented producer and um, has been doing a lot of docs lately. Speaking of Woodstock, he has a new Woodstock doc uh, that he produced. It's a like a mini series mm-hmm. out on HBO and I think Hulu as well, you can watch it. Um, and it's called Woodstock 99. Um, and uh, I just finished directing a docu-series, uh, which is, yes, we, we have the, it's called Songhouse Live. And you can go uh, on YouTube and watch the trailer. And we have music that Capitol Records is releasing on Spotify and iTunes and all that. Um, so that's pretty cool. And then I am also reading the paperback novelization of Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is so nerdy and so amazing. <laughs> um, I It's like, I'm on the beach reading this thing and loving it. So, nice. yeah, we can, very can cinema Rex. Shout out to Michael, congrats on the new show. I'm, I'm surprised you're even up right now doing the podcast. <laughs> I know you've been Thanks, in the editing oh. room. So. He loves us too much, I, he could never miss. I, I will go to, to hell or high water for you two. Oh. <laughs> yes, as long as there's white glow. Um, moving right along to one bit smarter, I have, I don't know if this has made me smarter, but we talk about Gates a lot on this, uh, uh, podcast and our newsletter, you know, we try to steer away from the, the page six tabloid discussion of, of surprise in chief, which is, is very hard to do because he seems to find himself there. But the thing that I think is interesting and really what I, what, what frankly pisses me off is, you know, obviously he's in a lot of controversy right now, um, given just some potential criminality that's being investigated. And yet this last quarter, he raised over a million dollars in political fundraising. And he's not at all the only one. I mean, we've seen several politicians, Democrats, Republicans, and everyone in between utilize controversy and incidents, you know, whether it be the Capitol riots or a controversial statement they make on, you know, some some issue of the moment. And we see them turn these, you know, potentially horrible controversies into these 
financial fundraising juggernauts that frankly I think is a sad, sad reality of our current state of politics because I think when you if you can use uh, a, a you know potential you know sex traffic sex trafficking felony charge, you know, which in this case, Congressman Gates is being investigated for, and you can turn that into a million plus dollars of donations, to me is is disgusting. We we need to end a campaign fine. There needs to be yeah. some cap on this because it's. I think it's a waste of money for the public, and it's it's just it's. I I think they were saying these midterms, they're going to raise. Anna, what was the stat? Was it nine billion dollars? Something like something like that, yeah. Wow. Or, or six, maybe six. Maybe it was nine hundred million. I don't. Yeah. No, it was way more than that. It was. Yeah. It was, yeah. We'll get. We'll get much, back to you on that. Too much. Too money. much money, it, basically. Right. Back in our communities and right. of wasting it on TV commercials totally. to to large corporations who are only making more money. That's my whole. Uh, totally. Right. My well, whole and like when you look at, I mean, this is the reality that one in five kids in New York City go hungry. And, you know, when you look at the food insecurity that so many have faced during this pandemic, when you look at the job loss, when you look at, you know, the list goes on and on. And you think like, just in our state of California, they're, they're going to be spending $400 million, roughly on this recall. Whether you agree with the recall or not, it feels like we can use $400 million for a better cause, (laughs) you know, the ballot will be here soon enough. And if you don't like what you have vote out, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it's a, it seems like such a colossal misspending of money when we really need it in, in so many places. Yeah. So my one bit smarter has to do with uh, the Bureau of land management. Very okay. exciting spot. Sexy, um, and, sexy. I, and and it has to deal with Joe Naduce and Lone, Lauren Boebert, Republican Democrat, okay. both from Colorado. And I'm a stat guy. So 99% of the 245 million acres managed by the Bureau of Land Management is on is on the you know the west part of the United States. So they recently moved the office of the BLM from uh, D.C. to uh, an office in Colorado. Now, uh, the Interior Secretary, Deb Holland, who's the first Native American to be in the cabinet, was out there speaking. And uh, so some of the Colorado politicians were there. The governor, both senators, Joe Naguse, Lauren Boebert. All of those are Democrats except Lauren. Actually, kind of hilarious photo to yeah. see them. I just wonder if Lauren and Joe even talk. <laughs> they're both so left and right. Yeah. But um, you know, they're trying to keep uh, the office there because it's they're saying it's saving money for taxpayers, and I would agree with that. Less travel, you're there closer to all the lands and whatnot. Here's the issue that Deb Holland was speaking about was when they moved the office, a lot of the employees ended up retiring because they didn't want to move to Colorado. So now they're having a massive issue trying to uh, fill those vacant spots. So, um, and a little bit more current events here, the head of the, or um, Biden just appointed the Bureau of Land Management, who's going through Senate confirmation now. 
So they're nervous that she's going to bring the office back to DC. This is a West now, Coast, East Coast, uh, or West versus but also, East. Also, what yeah, a waste. Debate. If you already, like, you're going to move it back after a year, you know, that's not, not yeah, a Yeah, but what, is, what does the government do best? <laughs> waste. Yes, true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That took you a second. Oh, yeah. Um, I, want, I, want, I was trying to go for the drama right there. <laughs> well, yeah. my one bit smarter to finish it off is from Sharice Davids, who is a Democrat from Kansas. And this is honestly just kind of crazy to me. So if anyone out there has ever heard of the birthday rule when it comes to health insurance for your newborn baby, um, I feel for you because this is really wild. So basically the birthday rule says that if two parents give birth and those two parents are on separate health insurance, then the health insurance companies can apply whatever insurance they see fit to the newborn baby, sometimes even without notifying the parents and often without the parents' decision being um, considered. So this came to Sharice because two of her constituents received a medical bill for $270,000 after their daughter was born, despite the fact that they had planned for the newborn to be covered under the mother's insurance. And obviously the newborn was not. So this birthday rule that allows health insurance companies to do this is fucking whack. Like giving birth is already so expensive in this country because we don't have nationalized health insurance, which is, you know, a whole other debate and issue that we will continue to talk about. But because we don't have that, it gives the health insurance companies so much power. And to have a rule like this, I think is just crazy. So Sharice, which I applaud, and I hope that that it is applauded on a bipartisan basis, has introduced the Empowering Parents Healthcare Choices Act, which would give parents 60 days after the birth of their child to choose their insurance policy and allow and not allow the birthday rule to take effect immediately. So that again, there's just all these shocking things. And a lot of them, frankly, I feel like that I've talked about revolve around women's health. And mm-hmm. like, I'm just thinking back to ones about birth control and about um, newborn health and all this stuff. And so I think that, you know, this is an issue that doesn't get enough attention. And I'm glad that we have more women in Congress on both sides of the aisle to, to give it the attention that it's due. And, and on it, uh, just to that note, a lot of it has to do with these time frames. Yeah. You know, so like extending this time frame out to 60 days, there was another bill out there where at, like veterans uh, who went to the emergency room, they had to let their insurance know within two or three days yeah. that they went there and you just dealt with something traumatic. And yeah. your first thought isn't, let me call my insurance company, yes. which is not fun, right? Yes. So it, it's the insurance companies are on the top of the list with the media conglomerates for me yeah and when was the when was the last time you like called your insurance company and, and got a person so, so anyway. how do you how do you rack up a two hundred seventy thousand dollar medical it bill? is because michael it is so expensive to give birth in america wow i'm not going to give a number because i don't have a child and i don't know the exact number but go look up how expensive yeah. it is to give birth. And by the way, if wow. you have if you have any complications in your birth, if you mm-hmm. have a C-section, that's a surgery. If you have any extra doctors that are needed to monitor the baby, like all that shit racks up. So 270,000, frankly, d- doesn't surprise me at all. Wow. Yeah. Wow. 
Well, uh, we are recording this podcast on July 30th, 2021, and Congress, the House, heads into a six-week recess at the end of today. So we'll have to dig a little deeper in the coming weeks to, to pull some news. I'm sure all of our leaders will be very busy. Maybe uh, we'll just cover like where they're going on vacation. Yeah, if if they're going on vacation or, yeah. or what they're doing. Hopefully they're not going on vacation. There's work to be done. Yeah, <laughs> a lot, lot of work to be done. Vacation uh, episode coming, coming yeah. soon. I, love <laughs> I think that's great, actually. Yeah, maybe we, maybe the three of us should head down to Cabo and do a podcast. Perfect. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, it was great to be with you guys, and we'll be looking out for the headlines next week, and uh, can't wait to come back and talk about it. Thanks for joining, everyone. Thank you. And if you haven't signed up, by the way, politicalplaylist.com, get your newsletter. You will be one bit smarter like we feel we are each week. So check it out. Tell your friends.